Hello, um, my name is Ashley Rovera. Um, I wanted to record a quick introduction for the benefit of the podcast listeners. Um, this introduction will be the appendage to um, my interview with John Meese, which uh, was recorded on the 25th of March, 2023. Um, the impetus for that interview was an award he had received um, not long before we did the interview. Uh, it was the Best Acting Performance Award for his role in a short called Bug Tussle. I've included a link related to this film, two links actually, in the show notes, um, and a few other relevant links as well, one of which is an article about him that I wrote after the interview aired. Um, we talked a lot about Bug Tussle, which he is extremely proud to have been a part of and to have had such a huge role in. With Bug Tussle, he told me, and this is a direct quote, I had a big part and I got to swing for the fences, end quote. I was most interested to talk about that kind of work, even though John Meese has been an actor since the 80s and he has worked in countless plays, TV shows, and a few movies such as Noise in the Middle 2020. Um, he even wrote and directed an independent short film called Perfect Day 2007. I personally saw lots of Soderbergh influence in the style of the film, the way it was shot. And he confirmed that uh, Soderbergh, another Baton Rouge guy, uh, actually um, had influenced the film a lot. And uh, interestingly, he, he also said that uh, another influence um, behind that film was a 2001 film called Ghost World. The Perfect Day cast included his friend, Eddie Jemison, who has been his friend since they were in school together at LSU. We talked a lot about LSU and how that network um, organized and guided by the acting professor, John Dennis, really jump-started his acting career and has remained a dominant force in his career today. He and Eddie and others from the same network, uh, Joe Crest, Wayne Perret, came together to make an amazing and critically acclaimed feature film called King of Herrings. That took up a lot of airtime because even though his acting part was small in it, his behind the scenes part in it was huge, and it is one of his proudest accomplishments. We devoted lots of time to the one-man show, Wild Son, The Testimony of Christian Brando, written by Champ Clark. That show is all John Meese, in the flesh, on the stage as Christian Brando. He's done it in coffee houses, restaurants, and theaters in Los Angeles and San Francisco, I saw it on Father's Day 2022 at Bistro Byron's in Baton Rouge. Uh, later the same summer, he and Champ took their show to uh, the Festival Fringe in Edinburgh, Scotland, where it was produced by Brian Moore, another associate from the LSU John Dennis Acting Network. Being more interested in talking about his character roles and the work he's produced, I didn't get around to asking about the many TV roles he's been cast in over the years, like um, X-Files. Uh, he was in an episode of X-Files called Chimera. And, or, uh, you know, he's been in countless um, TV shows with, like Reasonable Doubts, Law and Order, um, in 1998, he was part of the HBO miniseries From the Earth to the Moon. He played in two episodes of that series alongside Mark Harmon 
and Frederick Lane. It was a docudrama in which the trio reenacted the Apollo 7 mission. Um, we never got around to talking about any of that, unfortunately. I think his work where he got to be more independent and actually part of the creative process just took up so much space um, that we forgot, you know, we, we just uh, overlooked uh, things that maybe you can easily learn from Wikipedia or the IMDB database. Um, nevertheless, it was, a, it was fascinating um, to hear about such a long, dedicated, content-rich career, and, and frankly, life. I really hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, I give you John Meese. Uh, a, a boy from Baton Rouge. <laughs> yeah, just so, a boy. Uh, yeah, just a boy from Baton Rouge, boy from the Red Stick. So um, that's where it all began for you. Now, how, like, let's go back to how, and why you got into acting. Um, I guess, I think that's where I'd like to start. Like, I mean, was this something that that you were doing as a kid? I mean, not, not really, uh, but yes. I mean, I sort of, uh, I liked, I liked just kind of playing characters maybe in real life, just a little bit, not, not, not a huge amount. Okay. I mean, there's, there's an interesting thing to me that uh, I started doing impressions when I was really young, basically, because oh, really? I was watching Rich Little, okay. which was a, an impressionist at the time that was on TV, like the Tonight Show and stuff. So I would do impressions that he did. And one of the funny things to me is uh, my, my father was a dentist, and I would go to his office, and they had these little uh, cotton wads that they would stuff in the patient's mouth to like absorb saliva while he's working on them. Oh. And I, I would go there and take them and stuff them in my mouth. And I would do Marlon Brando. Oh. Um, and, and so the very, one of the very first uh, impressions that I ever did was, uh, was Marlon Brando just from having watched um, Rich Little do him. And he's, you know, he's in the Godfather. So I, and then I end up playing, you know, Christian Brando yes. and Wild Son. So, yes. and, and having to do Marlon Brando. So, you know, yeah, that. That's really cool. Talk about full circle. Gosh, that's yeah. Um, but I loved loved movies and I loved TV when I was young, and I think that that was one of the most uh, vibrant presences in my life. Like I, I, I was good at school. But I was kind of, uh, I mean, I don't know, I was kind of a wallflower, like, for a long time, uh, until about eighth grade, when uh, when all of a sudden girls started paying attention to me a little bit, and then I was just overwhelmed by that, and um, I didn't really go into acting when I was in high school, I think I was a little scared of doing that at an all-boys high school, where it wasn't really looked at as cool, you know, Um and so when I went to LSU and I was in the uh, master's program, there was, I mean, I mean, before I was in the master's program, I, I, I was in the Sigma Chi fraternity and there was a, a brother there that was like a senior and his name was Barry Lee. And he was an LSU cheerleader and he was also very involved in the acting program at LSU and he kind of made it cool, you know, or okay for me to like take an acting class. Okay. So that's really, really the first time I ever got anything sort of serious about it. Although I did do, you know, an eighth grade play, which was like a thing that everybody did. And, um, I think that was kind of it. Before what I, it was, or do you remember what that play? It was the Music Man. Um, yeah, and uh, I didn't play the Music Man, but I did audition for that part, and um, got down to me and and one other guy, Kyle Rockamore, and he got it. I couldn't sing, and he could sing. Oh. Um, but I had uh, I had kind of 
memorize the uh, the thing off the album, and I could say it. You know, uh, well, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you're not aware of the caliber of disaster indicated by the presence of a pool table in your community. And I still remember it from eighth grade. Oh, wow. um, but I messed it up, and we were auditioning in church, and I said, I, I tripped on the language, and I said, you're not aware of the caliber Shit. Oh, no. You know, nuns. No. Okay, yes. But nobody said anything, and uh okay. They let me go, and uh, but I didn't get the part. But I did get to play Mayor Shin, which is the mayor of the town. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was awesome. And I liked it, but then I kind of never really looked at it again until college. So you got into acting, acting classes in undergrad um, mm -hmm. through your fraternity. Um, okay, so, and then... I know, like, there's that video that you did where you talk about Sam Shepard and how you read Tooth of, Tooth of Crime, right? And yes. that was that was actually your first play. It was not my it was not my actual first LSU play. I took, I guess, what happened is I took um, I took several classes. There were many people uh, that were involved in the program because John Dennis had just come to LSU and was teaching. And, you know, it was sort of starting, you know, the religion of John Dennis over there. It was becoming a big deal. And he started, he started the master's program, right? Yeah, okay. he had not started it yet when I was an undergrad. Okay. And I did one play for summer theater there called Sly Fox. And so uh, that was the very first thing I did. Um, and I liked it. I had fun doing it. Um and but I thought maybe I would move to um to, to Los Angeles and perhaps somehow I could like you know direct commercials or something and maybe that would be like fun because they were like little mini movies or something and this was all going on in my brain um when I bumped into John Dennis at Coffee Call in Baton Rouge and and asked him if I could audition to play uh Biff in uh Death of a Salesman okay is that right is that right? I think that's the play. Yeah, they were doing Death of a Salesman. And um, people had said, oh, you could play Biff. That would be a good role for you. Like when I was, you know, when I was first taking classes in undergrad and um, John Dennis, that's the whole story that I tell, you know, that you that you watch. But John Dennis said, oh, yeah, you could come and audition. Um, but I'm also I'm doing this play to the crime by Sam Shepard. And I knew who Sam Shepard was from watching the movie The Right Stuff. And he was like this super cool dude, right? Um, but I went and read uh, Tooth the Crime, and it was just, I don't know, it just blew my mind. It was uh, just crazy language, lots of cuss words. Oh, P.S., can can we cuss here? I don't want to. I'll take it down. <laughs> if, if, you, if you don't want it, I won't. But I, I do tend to cuss a lot, especially when I talk about acting. Um, <laughs> There was a lot of cuss words in the play, and um, I found that very uh, thrilling to like say the language, and uh, you know, because I was kind of brought up, you don't cuss in front of uh, elders and that kind of stuff. I never cussed in front of my parents. My parents never cussed in front of me. Um, but I've I've had a career of playing people that use language fairly uh, liberally, I would say. Um, and this this was a play that had a lot of language in it, and it was fun to say. And it, not just cuss words, but uh, like I mean, it, it, read to the crime, and you'll you'll see what a genius Sam Shepard was. He created a language. Um, they speak in sort of a futuristic rock and roll uh, language that is all made up, you know. And it's about kind of a street gang techno uh, temperament of actors are out there trying to. I mean, musicians are out there trying to rule the world, you know gain new new uh new sections of the territories of the world and uh it, it's just it's mind-blowing but it's it's what started me i did it and i thought this is what i want to do you know it was yeah. like being hamlet in a rock and roll world and uh it blew my mind you were you were in you were you were all in and i like how like one thing that is so striking and so interesting is 
like the network that you kind of built in that program. I mean, you're still like best friends with all these guys, um, you know, the, yeah. King, the King of Herrings people, which um, honestly is my personal favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something. I mean, King of Herrings, of course, was written and directed by Eddie Jemison and also directed by Sean Richardson, who's the only sort of outsider that we pulled in who was the DP. But yeah, King of Herrings was Joe Crest, Wayne Parade, David Jensen, myself, Eddie Jemison, uh, Carl Palmer, and then Laura Lampson, Eddie's wife, um, who was also, I guess, an outsider, but just because she wasn't from LSU. Um, but yeah. me and Eddie were doing a class out here uh, in Los Angeles that uh, would meet every Wednesday night, and we would just kind of do scenes and write scenes sometimes. Sometimes we would do other people's work. Sometimes we would do David Mamet, Shepard, um, anybody. And then um, Eddie started working on this idea. He wrote a scene, and you know, people got up and read it. And uh, I kind of was just sitting in the audience, working with him, like giving him notes. And he would bring um, you know the scene back. And after he wrote one scene, he said, oh, "I'm going to write another scene for these guys." And it was, uh, I think, the first scene he wrote was the first scene of the movie. It's a. Uh, it's him and Gat walking down the street talking about. Uh, I like the, there's the, word. Word. There, there's a word. It doesn't count as a curse word because it's not an actual word. So yeah. good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But that's the uh, that's that's the that's the genesis of that project, and he just he kept writing it until he got the whole thing done, and um, we were going to do the play with John Dennis was going to direct it, but John was getting old. Uh, I, I don't think any of us expected him to like not live long enough to see uh, the film. I think um, he, yeah, he fell out of doing the play and that's when we decided to shoot it as a film. Okay. But yeah. he, he, he was involved too. Sorry to transition away from King of Herrings. Maybe we can come back to it, but he was involved as well in um perfect day right john dennis yeah. did the casting yeah, for that absolutely absolutely yeah. um yeah i had written perfect day and i wanted to i wanted to shoot this movie and i was trying to remember there's another movie that sort of was uh, kind of a little bit of an inspiration for me but i came up with this idea and i really wrote it about a girl but it's really kind of about me you know, like it's I just it's my care. That, that's sort of like something I went through when I was younger and I wrote it. I wrote my character as a girl because I've always found um, women and girls to be more fascinating than guys for some reason. Um, but I I mean, they're more complicated to me. And I, I I've like guys are easy. Guys are um you know, I, I went to an, I went to an all boys high school and I was in a fraternity. I just feel like what we talk about is less uh, in depth. Um, and then when I when I have relationships with women, it's very complicated and all kinds of interesting things come up. So I, I flipped the script on that and I wrote it and I just wanted to cast it with some young college age kids. And I thought, oh, well, John Dennis has, you know, acting students. I'm out here. Um, so I asked him if I could come in and sort of audition some of his students. And he said, absolutely. And he kind of put it together for me. Yeah. And he, he read it and he had an idea and he said, these are probably the people you want. And so I kind of almost just, you know, I think just took his recommendations. I met them and I said, oh, my gosh, she's perfect. Um, mm -hmm. Tara McMullen was the, the lead and she was perfect. Um, and Preston Davis uh, and Eric Little um all and, these cats and then eddie eddie i brought in eddie of course yeah and eddie's wife obviously laura oh yeah, yeah. i got i got laura to play two different yeah. parts yeah and then um i think wayne he did the editing which or no was it yeah yeah he actually did that's the um that you know it's 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 good because you've like studied all this stuff i haven't thought about that but like yeah 
nobody really had the editing equipment yet, but Wayne had this great Mac computer with it. He had like one of the first really professional editing programs and it was slow going because he was like kind of teaching himself how to do it. But um, I'm thinking like, well, okay. Yeah, that's right. Because I had somebody else edit. You saw the other thing sneaking Sally, but yeah. So, so we did, we did uh, Wayne's over at Wayne's house. I would go over there and, uh, you know, we'd sit there for a couple hours and edit it together. It was great because you're all friends and you're working together and it's, um, but at the same time, I guess, because you're all such strong personalities with your own kind of vision, it was kind of hard to coordinate actually like, I don't cats know. Cats in a bag. It was cats in a bag, like trying to trying to herd cats. And uh, yeah, that's that's Eddie's something he said. And um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting, but it's what made it work. In other words, everybody came to it saying, "I'm going to do this." Like we do a lot of stuff for television and film, where they just kind of put a, a lot of. Uh, constraints on you they they want you to be this kind of character and everybody said well i'm doing this and i'm not going to really make any money for it but i have an idea of what i want to do with it so everybody kind of brought their own thing to it which is what i really think most films that like great films that's how they're made they you know they give you a character and they say hey bring this alive and that's what everybody did in king of herrings you know david jensen did that character the way he wanted to do it. And Joe Crest did, you know, his character the way he wanted to do it. Wayne did it, you know. Um, you weren't micromanaged. You were able to to do your own, bring your own flavor to it, each one of you. Um, absolutely. Which is yeah. why I think you find such a life in that film, which is a little bit stronger than most films that I've, you know, gotten to participate in and certainly that I even see sometimes, you know. Yeah, I did screen. I did screen Perfect Day at um, the New Orleans Film Festival first. That was see. That's the, the 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 weird thing is, is we were all kind of just going. All right, well, we're acting out here, getting parts, but we're you know, I mean, I'm sorry. Most of the parts that we get are just not as interesting as the stuff that we've done uh, on on stage. I agree. And, I agree. And, and certainly not as interesting as what we can write. You know, like when Eddie started writing that, that was always my thing is I had seen, and still to this day, I've seen the best acting I've ever seen, most interesting acting in acting classes. And um, with the Wednesday night and with John Dennis's classes, I would see this amazing work. And uh, especially when Eddie started writing that, I was like, okay, this is better than anything we get to act in. So when he wanted to make it, I just I joined him full force to help him get it done the way he wanted to get it done. And um, because he didn't know as much about filmmaking as maybe I did, because I had already made um, Perfect Day and Sneaking Sally Down the Alley, which I shot on film. It was before digital, you know, so we shot that on 16 millimeter, um, which was made it even harder to, to make your own movie because you had to shoot it on film, get it developed, have it imported into a computer so that you could edit it. And then you had to know people that had all this stuff. Um, but I had done all these things. So when Eddie decided to make his first film, I just had kind of a plethora of, you know, handyman knowledge on how to do a lot of stuff. And so that's what I was his extra crew member. I just helped him get things done from the beginning, you know, um, and it was, it was the best because yeah. it was our friends and, and, and what Eddie wrote. Um, and then Sean Richardson came in and just knew how to shoot it, you know? And he, he was, he had his own, um, he had his own artistic vision that he brought to it that was just bumped it up another level, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. It's like when you, you ask yeah. these questions, I start bouncing all over the place yeah. too. No, that's 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 awesome. Um, I actually, um, you mentioned something in there, but I kind of I kind of forgot it. Maybe it'll come back. Um, 
So, okay, let's talk about Augie. Okay, because I remember in one of the videos, I think it's the behind the scenes one on your Vimeo page. Um, you're talking about the way, because I guess Eddie did all the casting, correct? And yes. So, um, and you mentioned how he 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 had kind of an anti-type cast approach, especially to Joe Crest and um, and Wayne. Um, but you did talk about um, your role. Um, like, how do you fit in? I'd like, would you say, would you say that was uh, a typecast or anti-type? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, I kind of, I don't think in the beginning that I was even in it as an actor. Like, I don't even know if Augie was a role or I'll put it to you this way. Augie was there, but I had worked with um, Eddie on all these scenes, like in acting class. I had helped him. I'd given him notes. And we had different actors reading the parts, uh, guys from out here. And um, I didn't even remember. Like, he, uh, he offered me the role of Augie, and I was like, who's Augie? <laughs> and he's like, and he goes, you know, the guy that runs the uh, – I go, I go, there's a character? Like, I didn't even remember there being a guy because you have to admit, if you look at it, it's a very tiny role. Very I mean, subtle. yeah. He yeah. speaks a few times, but uh, he's there. But, you know, if you're reading the script, you, he doesn't jump off the page at all. True. Um, yeah. So in the day, I always thought Eddie was just like, like, you know, he needed somebody to do it or, or he was throwing me a bone, like, here's something, you know. Um, I he felt bad because we did all this, you know, we had worked on it so much and, and everybody else was in it. But what was interesting to me about Augie was I didn't have to do um, any serious work other than just be there with those guys while we were making the film. And, um, and I'm really happy with the way it came out. You know, I mean, I, I, I love Augie. And, and most of it's just because he gave him that great monologue where he has a scene where he talks to the two guys. And you kind of look at it as he's really the only one that um, is not a total child, I think. You know, I mean, he's, he's a little bit he's a little bit more grown up than the rest of them because they're all still. You know, I mean, he, he's had his heart broken. They've left him. I mean, his. his He's had his uh, many run-ins with women, and I think he's sort of, when you find that movie starts, he's just, as as you were talking to me about something that might be a through line, he's a lost man, you know? And so he just, he's got this diner that he gets up every morning and he runs. But if you think about it, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty bust out diner, man. I mean, because you've got, you got those four cats coming to the diner and you don't really have anybody else, which I think is cool that you don't really notice it while you're watching the movie, but that's who you, that's, that's who you see in that diner, the, the four main characters. And then finally, uh, Laura's character comes. It, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't feel that empty, but cause the way they, they, they fill it up, you know? Yeah. He, he kind of, Augie kind of takes himself out of it, out of the, he takes himself out of the drama. He, he with, you know, like he talks about how he withholds, he, he, he's, he's just completely withdrawn, but he's still there. He's just, you know, he's just kind of, uh, I think he judges, he, he, he looks, he looks down at those guys. Cause they're like, he just keeps sort of being exasperated. Oh, the drama. Yeah. The drama. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. They don't have, they don't have the, uh, and I, I don't know that, Augie would be any better than them. Uh, he, I don't know. He just seems a little bit more grown up than them. Like I said, like he just seems a little bit past where they are in the moment of the film. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's got the uh, kind of, I guess he, there's a emotional maturity there because he's not, he's, he doesn't get sucked into the drama. So, yeah. Um, so, Anita's Grill. Um, that that is a good segue into the the filming locations, which is another interesting thing. I guess um, you guys really didn't have to pay anything to to film. You know, I mean, 
you talked about you actually shot there for free. Like, yeah, we shot there for free. We we shot at LSU Stadium in the in the bathroom for free. Um, but a lot of that, like, one of the things is it's Eddie. Eddie could like Eddie could charm anybody into anything. I'm just I'm sure of it. But like, he walked into uh, the diner and he loved it. But he brought his daughter with him when he asked, and his daughter his daughter was like. Cute. I don't know, maybe seven or something, Daisy. And he's like sitting there with his daughter on his lap, talking to the owner going, yeah, I'm making this movie. And the cool thing about Eddie is he's recognizable to a lot of people um, because of uh, some of the films that he's done, like Ocean's Eleven. And that being like one that really kind of made, a, a lot of people saw that movie. Yeah. But um, And in New Orleans, they recognize him as famous. But, you know, Eddie's like the, most down-to-earth guy and he's just super sweet and charming and yeah he i mean i don't think i could have talked an owner of a restaurant like that into letting me use it for free but eddie did and that was huge because the diner is i mean it's the movie location the main location the apartments that we got i think were his uh his aunt's house and um then we just stole some locations too like on lsu campus at, yeah. including that bathroom we just snuck in you know oh, wow. okay we just snuck in put our equipment in there and shot and then snuck out Derek sitter let's move on to let's go to bug tussle so how did you get in how did you get into that click the the let's call okay. it bend oregon the bend oregon boys <laughs> well you might not even know this but I probably Derek, don't. Derek, I know Derek from John Dennis. Oh, really? Okay. From LSU. Okay. Derek was in the master's program at LSU about maybe three, four years after me. Um, I, it was definitely three years because he was not there when I was at LSU. Um, I think maybe he came and, and, and checked it out. Uh, he's from Oklahoma. Right. All right. And anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll try to like cut to the chase. He was there when I was, I had moved to Los Angeles and I was like, you know, I, I got a TV gig on uh, with Marley Matlin. I was playing her uh, love interest on a TV show. So I was like the guy who made it, you know, right at the beginning. I was on TV um, for 16 episodes and everybody thought that was amazing. And I thought it was amazing. Um, so I was living out in Los Angeles when Derek graduated from LSU and him and his wife, Jeannie, they, uh, Jeannie had graduated with him and I don't think they were married yet, but they moved out to Los Angeles together. And I'm trying to remember how it all shaped out. Um, oh, they came out for uh, like a showcase. You know, they came to Los Angeles to do a showcase in order to try to find like an agent and stuff, which is the same thing I did when I graduated with my class with Joe Crest and them. Yeah. And what is that exactly? A showcase is uh, like uh, you rent a theater and you get your group of actors to do scenes and you invite agents and uh, and and uh, casting directors to come to it to get so they can watch these young actors who have never done anything but have studied and have done plays um, to see if anybody wants to represent them to the industry. Um, and so John Dennis had done that. Our class was the first MFA class. You know, me, Joe Crest, um, David Jensen, and Eddie Jemison were in it, but they quit uh, after the first semester or first year. But anyway, we came out when we graduated and did this showcase. And years later, Derek and his not yet wife, Jeannie, um, came out to do a showcase. And John Dennis called me and he said, hey, uh, I got this guy, Derek Sitter and uh, his girlfriend, Jeannie. They need a place to stay um, when they come out for the showcase. And I said, they can stay at my place. That's that's fine. Cause I actually had, I think I had a pretty cool like apartment then. I think I was living on uh, 
in Cloverdale. And so they, uh, they came and stayed with me. Might've been on, I think it was when I lived across the street from Joe Crest. I don't remember the original circumstances, but I do remember that they came and stayed with me. And that's when I really got to be kind of close with them because they were there for like three or four days. Um, and then um, after he graduated, they graduated, they moved to Los Angeles. And I never really seen him. I helped, I helped him get an apartment. And then I never really saw him that much while he was in L.A. Um, he was working and he was working with the actor's studio. Um, and he got parts and stuff, but we were kind of in different circles. And then, um, then he moved up to Bend, Oregon and started VTP, the volcanic theater pub and had a whole life with that. But we were kind of just in touch, you know? So Derek would come here and, and, you know, I'd pick him up and give him a ride to, you know, a restaurant before he would get on the plane to go somewhere else. And, um, then during pandemic, we started talking about, he sent me the script for Bug Tussle and uh, I just gave him my thoughts and he kept sending it back to me and I was reading it and I was telling him, yeah, you know, this is great. And I was asking him questions about it. And finally, after I read about three different drafts of it, I said, oh, you know, I said, every time I read this, um, I just, I think you're, uh, you're Coyote and I'm Crow. I go, I don't know why, but that's the way it is in my brain. I don't know if that's what you're thinking. And he was like, no, man, that's not what I'm thinking at all. Like, huh. <laughs> he goes, but that's really cool. And so, like, he was really just kind of getting my, um, my thoughts on it. And when I said that, I think he just started thinking along those lines. And the next thing I knew, that's what we were going to do. And I'm really glad I spoke up because it's one of those things where you just say, if I hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done that role. And I loved doing that with him and the crew there and, and Ben. And it was just because I had, he, he was trusting me with his early drafts and he wanted my input, but I kept reading it and thinking, all right, so he's obviously coyote and I'm obviously crow, you know, which, I mean, if you watch the film, which you did, it's, it's the right casting, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of perfect. Um, and I just, I don't know that that was his idea when he was writing the script at all. I don't think it was, but so yeah, we got to do that. And he was very, um, thorough. Was he more thinking that he was going to be crow or I think, I think maybe he was going to play crow, but you see with Derek, he does a lot of different, you know, he, he's very, he's a character actor. I mean, he does a lot of different characters. Um, I think you saw Tutu Grande, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so he's kind of like, you know, the quiet, intense, cool guy in that. Yeah. Just, just to watch him in both of those two pieces, you see a huge range of him. Um, so maybe he did have this idea of playing Crow and maybe he had an idea of somebody else playing Coyote. I don't know, but, um, you know, that's that's me along from a long time ago when I when I read something and if I if I connect to it, I'm going to speak up. You and um, it's not the first time I've gotten apart by just saying, hey, how about me? Um, because, you know, a lot of times people don't even think that you're interested unless you say that, you know. Are you going to work with Derek again? Because you guys really are a dynamic duo. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, like I said, I, I hope so. I really yeah. hope so. Um, Derek has always got so much going on. Um, and he, he just sold his, his volcanic theater pub. Uh, and so he's, I don't even know where he's going to live. If he comes back out to LA, which I hope he does, um, that would be a great chance to work with him again. Yeah. Um, I, I want to work with him again. And the reason Bud Tussle is literally the way we shot it, the way he put it together. It's my fantasy of what it would be like to shoot independent films, like at a, at a great level. Um, Cause we rehearsed it. We learned it. We, um, he actually came out to LA and we sat in this garage and, and like he, he worked with me for like, you know, about six hours through the whole film. And you don't do that 
with most movies. Um, we got on Zoom like this and read the whole script out until we learned it and memorized it. So it was rehearsed to the point where we could kind of like go at it when we shot, you know? Uh, and I think you see that in the film. You don't, you don't see, um, you don't see an actor reaching for a line. You see actors that are entrenched in that world. And, um, you know, he's very easy. He, he gives that anyway in his performance. Um, he's, he's there. And, um, I like to be there. Um, and he created a world where it's easy to be there. So I, I would do anything with Derek again, because like I said, that that's the most fun I've had working on a film as an actor. So, um, yeah, you guys shot it in like a day or something, right? We so. shot the, the entirety of the interior, which is basically the whole film. Um, in one day yeah and that's wow i think it's 20 i think it's 21 22 pages and just to give you a for instance or an example um hollywood when you shoot a television series it's kind of normal to shoot maybe five pages a day okay. uh and, and that's with a huge crew and you're on a sound stage they might shoot they might try to shoot like five pages a day we shot over 20 in wow. one day wow. and the the, re the reason we could do that is because he he thought it all out and there's that one location where we're trapped and it's just me and him and then one other actor and everybody just really learned their shit and then you have uh his his camera crew which they're all phenomenal i mean he's got these guys that really know how to shoot with cameras they 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 set it up in their brains. They got in there and they didn't, they didn't make us hit a lot of marks. They mm -hmm. said, you guys do it and we're going to be over here and we're just going to cover it. We're going to shoot it. And so it was almost like we just were in that barn in that dirt for a day, just doing rehearsals and just going at it. And those guys were just shooting us. It wasn't um, it wasn't like you had to like do a lot of things to satisfy them. They were there to cover us and make sure that we got everything. And so it was awesome. Um, you know, I mean, just it, it's yeah. it's what as an actor, when you work on stage, it's what you think it's going to be like to make a really cool film, because it's not always a lot of times when you work on on TV, you know, it's it's very oh. staid and like. Okay, you're going to stand here mm -hmm. and uh, you're, you're going to yep. look this way and you're going to say this line. And then at this moment, we want you to grab your coffee cup. Okay. And yes. And then you wave. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's like, yeah, we were going at it. And I feel like, I feel like it's like that in Eddie's world too, mm -hmm. um, for King of Herrings. But, but I know that you didn't, you don't get this, but I didn't, I didn't have much of a, an acting part in King of Herrings to me. It was very small and it yeah. was very easy and I liked it. But when you look at the, the breadth of what I did in King of Herrings, all of that, all of those reaction shots of me in the movie, we, we did that in like one take, maybe two, maybe he, maybe he did it twice. And I just sat there and I kind of looked at these guys and they got all my stuff that quick, except for the scene where I talk. Um, yeah. And, and with uh, you know, with Bug Tussle, it's kind of like we're playing hardball. Yeah. yeah, King of Herrings is is another dreamscape for me, like of what I what mm -hmm. I wanted to do when I became a film actor. I just don't have a big role in it as an actor. I, what yeah. I what I did have a huge role in. I, I was I was a producer, and I was uh, the first AD. I had a a huge behind the the scenes role in King of Herrings. Yeah, in Bug Tussle, I had a big part. And I got and I got to swing for the fences with it, and it was fun. That's uh, that's uh, it leads me to the reason that I feel like I got to bug tussle. It's another reason is because of uh, Wild Sun. Um, okay. Because because Wild Sun. Yeah. Um, that that was the one that opened me back up because I had been doing TV and commercials and any 
role that I could get just to pay the bills. Um, and I was kind of getting dead, you know, as an actor. It just wasn't wasn't thrilling me at all. Um, and then Champ Clark handed me Wild Sun. I read that in front of a bunch of strangers, and I was like, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. I, I forgot. This was like flashing back all the way to Tooth of Crime uh, and Sam Shepard. And so I did that play. Derek came to Los Angeles and saw it. Um, and that's before that's before we did uh, before we did Bug Tussle. And I think um, you know it just opened the door. It just opened the door for me and him to have conversations about stuff again. And uh, the, that's why I I connect those two parts as an actor, and I go, I get to swing for the fences in both of those those parts in, in, in those pieces, you know, I mean, in, in wild sun, I'm on stage for an hour telling a story and it's just me. And in bug tussle, it's just me and Derek, um, going at it tooth and nail, you know? Um, so those are, those are the type of roles and, and, uh, and acting work that it turns me on, you know, it makes me get excited. That's yeah. That's, that's why I, I completely get that. Cause you know, I, I did watch a few of what I call the, the professional acting roles that you had, you know, in the professional world where, you know, stand here, do this, you know, and it's very formulaic and it's, you know, you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, you're a client, you're a client, you're, you know, it's like that. But I mean, well, they, yeah, they put you in a box. Yeah. They see you, they say, this is what you are. And then they want yeah. to, they, they, they go, oh, he can do this. Yeah. And they really want you to do what they want you to do. And, you know, you, you try, you try to bring something good to it. And every once in a while you get, a, you get an opportunity to do that. Like I got to do a, a bad guy on um, law and order mm -hmm. and it was a, you know, it was a big role. And uh, the, the director, Michael Pressman, he just let me go. So, I was still working in the constraints of a television show, a very popular television show uh, that's been around forever, but they let me kind of be me and the other actors were really yeah. great actors. And I think that's kind of how they shoot that. They shoot it a little bit like they're all pros. And uh, if you get a chance to work with them, they, they treat you like a pro too. And so you get to kind of just go. Um, it's still a little bit more um, of a machine than like, when you work with your friends and, and you, you don't always have the idea fully fleshed out until you do it. Um, they can have a little bit more of that worked out on their end, but you know, the opportunities are few and far between in the television world. And I think even the film world, I haven't worked in movies as much as some of my friends like Joe Crest and David Jensen um, and Eddie even uh, and Wayne and Carl Palmer. Um, but I think you will see them in movies and the big deal is you get the role and you get the money and you get the time somewhere. It's very, very seldom that you go, wow, look at the scene I did. Look at the work I did. It's not as much about the work. Uh, Joe Crest has had a couple of scenes and, uh, and parts in movies that are exciting. They're Steven Soderbergh films, you know? Yeah. Well, did a, I, yeah. I think that I think that Joe Crest actually really kind of, you know, on, like on Stranger Things. Um, I know it's a small part, as they say, but it's like it, it's it's actually a very interesting part, you know. Yeah. I mean, almost for, I, almost like like Augie, you know, he's not sort of doing a lot, but what he's doing is is actually really cool. <laughs> there's two um, things. There's, there's yeah. two things I would say about that. One, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. And like to me, Augie is a fantastic role mm -hmm. uh, because of what it turned out to be. It's just not it's, it's not my dream role as far as a shooting it. But with Joe, he's done a lot of those kinds of roles like mm -hmm. small roles, they're here, they're here, they're here. Yeah. But what's really cool to me about um, his work on Stranger Things is that is right after we did King of Herrings. 
but he got that. Mm. And King of Herrings is kind of the first time I saw Joe really bring Joe to the character, like the professor. Okay. Like he really brought, he brought the sort of oddity that Joe Crest is to the character of the professor in King of Herrings. And I think he kind of brought the oddity of who Joe is to the father character in Stranger Things. So even though, you know, he's just there, here, there, here, there, which by the way, on a TV gig is a fantastic job because you work a day and then two weeks later you work another day and you're getting money and you're getting money and you're getting money. Um, and he gets to do interesting things because they hired him to be that weird guy that he is, you know? So he gets to have fun uh, even in these little bitty scenes. Yeah. So I, um, okay. So we talked about wild son. Let's talk about where, where you've been so far with wild son. Do you mind sharing kind of the timeline of how wild son went? Like where, where was the beginning? And All right. I'll tell you the story of, so wild son started like this. Okay. Champ Clark was in the Wednesday night acting class that I was in that I was in with Eddie Jemison. And the only reason I was there was because of Eddie. And there was a bunch of Chicago actors and champ was a person who acted a lot in Chicago and then moved out here and started working for people magazine and never got to act again. Um, so champ was in the class. We became close at, after about two or three years, we, we exited the class. Um, I had kind of had my fill of it and uh, Champ had had his fill of it. Not everybody was getting along in that class uh, anymore. Um, Eddie was still there, but we wanted out and we got out. And then over time, we were doing things together. Uh, I can't remember what in, in particular, but he wrote, he had that script that he had written as an idea of something. He didn't know what it was, but he had, he had met Christian Brando um, through People Magazine. Like he did a story when uh, Priscilla, not, not Priscilla, there's a woman named, and I don't know what her name is, Deborah Presley, okay? okay. She, she um, married Christian Brando. And, and Deborah Presley was was first in the news because she claims to be the illegitimate child of Elvis Presley. Now, this has never been proven or anything, but she kind of seems to be someone that maybe uh, wants to be in the limelight. And, uh, and she met Christian Brando and she married Christian Brando and she... Uh, called the offices of People Magazine and said, I just got married to Christian Brando and you guys haven't even done a story on us. So um, they, they, they assigned it to Champ to call her and ask about this, uh, this fact that they had gotten married. So uh, Champ called and he, he tells the story, but it's like he said they were in, in the car driving around and he was talking to Deborah Presley and he heard somebody wailing on a, uh, I think on a, a harmonica in the background and it was Christian. And um, he asked if he could talk to Christian. He, he spoke to him a little bit and um, they kind of later on, he asked him if he could like interview him and he didn't, he wasn't working for people magazine. He just was interested in meeting Christian and, and finding out more about him because he always thought he was an interesting character that nobody really knew about. Over time, they developed a friendship. And over time, he asked him if you want to, you know, sit down and do some interviews so I can tell your story. And I think he says Christian was like, my story? You want you, you want to hear me? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. He was touched, he was kind of flabbergasted. Um, and he said that would be like amazing. Because nobody really wanted to know his story. Um, so they did it. You know, they got together over a series of weekends with Champ pressing record. And, um, you know, the only thing he said was that, like, Christian would, you know, have like a six pack of beer and we just sit there and pull on the beers 
and talk. And um, he recorded it all. And then he condensed it and edited it down to what he thought was, you know, the, the most important parts of the story. And it was just sitting there collecting dust because nothing had ever happened to it. And he asked me to come over to his apartment and read it. And I did. And when I read it, about three or four pages into it, I started feeling like this is so present tense the way he wrote it that I feel like I'm becoming the guy just by saying the words. Um, and after I finished it, he goes, he goes, I think we should read this in front of like an audience. And I was like, yeah, I said, there's something there. And he put together this uh, reading with a bunch of actors and writers. And we did it at this coffee shop in Santa Monica, the Unurban Coffee House. And when I, re I worked on it, you know, I worked on it, I worked on it, I worked on it because I wanted to not like suck in front of all these people. Um, but the more I worked on it, the more I thought, this is amazing. And when I read it in front of that audience, I knew like by two or three pages in, we're doing this because they were just in the palm of my hands and I was just reading this story. And um, so immediately, I mean, the reaction was fantastic. Um, and there were some heavy hitters in there. Beth Henley, who wrote oh, Crimes of the Heart. Crimes of the Heart, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright, Beth Henley was there, who Champ knew from Chicago and had worked with her um as an actor i yeah. think the lucky spot was a play they did um but she was there and you know she gave him a lot of really uh you know supportive conversation about it and ended up giving us a quote to use that we used heavily to get um you know people to come see the show robert robert shapiro was is his lawyer and he came to opening night when we did it at the theater okay. um but but with Champ, uh, like I, I had a conversation with him that day when we when we did the first reading in front of these people at this coffee shop. I said we need to do this, and I spent the next two weeks memorizing it because I knew if I memorized that story, I could tell it. And that was a very—I've never memorized anything that long in my life, and it's a really hard thing to memorize. But I kind of figured it out. Uh, that he had done sort of a chronological story thing. So I could figure out how old Christian was. Anyway, I memorized it and I just started getting in front of people and telling the story. And um, every time I did that, it just got a little bit more, um, you know, in, in inside of me. And uh, then we, you know, we, we started like putting it up. We went to Unurban Coffee House and we invited people to buy tickets and we did the show there three or four times. And then we put up a, a full run of it at the Santa Monica Playhouse. Um, I've done it in New Orleans. I've done it in Baton Rouge about three or four times. I took it to LSU right after we started doing it at the coffee house. I did it at the black box at LSU for free to, in front of 150 friends. And it was, it was phenomenal, you know, to do it in that space. Um, but yeah, then you saw it at Bistro Byron's, which I've done it there twice. Yeah, I did it in San Francisco right before pandemic. And then after pandemic, we did it at, uh, at Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland. And um, it, you know, it has a life because it's just such an amazing story. And I'll say this. Yeah, I think I'm good in it. I do. Um, but it doesn't matter if I'm good. Right. Um, the, story, the story is so good. That like I could literally just sit there and do nothing and just tell you the story or I could kind of suck and tell you the story and you're still going to be riveted because the story is that powerful. Yeah. And um, so exactly. for me as an actor, I, I'll, I'll never let go of it because I don't think I'll ever be offered the, uh, the chance to do something that rich. I mean, because it's, it's, an, it's, it's an interesting guy's entire life told in an hour and um you know the day that somebody gets me to play something that's as powerful or and as interesting and as all-encompassing as that is the day i'll be like really there's no way you know i mean it's just this is this is sort of the as big as it gets and it's a curse uh, and a blessing because 
it kind of makes everything else pale in comparison a little. Um, but it also gives me the idea they go, you know what? I still have gifts as an actor and I have um, gifts as an artist. When I can get to do something like that at my age and go, yeah, I, I still love this. Okay. Thank you so much. This was a really fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Have a great day, okay? All right. All right. Lots of love. Tell your mom I said hi. And uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. This was fun. Uh, yes, it was. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.